Welcome to Revival Leadership Insights with Ed Crenshaw, a podcast for empowering and equipping leaders for revival in the greater Philadelphia region and throughout our nation. Thanks for tuning in today. If you are enjoying these podcasts, we invite you to subscribe, follow us on Facebook, and to check out edcrenshaw.com for free resources to train church leaders today for revival tomorrow. In today's episode, Ed Crenshaw will be discussing miracles. Is God able? Is he willing? What do you need from God? I know there are seasons of life where somebody might ask us what we need prayer for, and we would just say, oh, just pray for me to be blessed. But then there are other seasons where we need a miracle. We know that we need God to do something specific, and we need God to do something big. My brother-in-law, Bruce, is in a situation right now like that with a severe health problem, and we're praying for a miracle. The question that arises when we are in that time of need of a miracle are these, these two questions. Is God able? And usually we would say yes. But then there's another question. Is God willing? Is God going to do it right now? The passage that we're looking at today from Matthew chapter 8 addresses those questions. Is God able? Is God willing? Matthew 8, beginning with verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, this is following his sermon on the mount, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Here in this passage, we see the compassion of Jesus in action. Jesus' compassion really does answer the question, is he willing? Most of us assume that God is able. We know that he's powerful. Even people who don't follow Jesus, most Americans believe that God's able to do anything, but we, for some reason, have the ongoing question, is he willing? Was he willing with the leper 2,000 years ago? And is he still willing today? The leper had a big problem. He had a physical problem, of course. He had leprosy, but he also had a spiritual problem because the illness of leprosy is marked out in the Old Testament as requiring special treatment and not in the good sense either. When people contracted leprosy and the leprosy didn't just go away, then they were required to separate themselves from the community, from their families, from their jobs. They were outcasts in so many ways. They couldn't touch people. People couldn't touch them. They had to go through the streets wearing rags and crying out, unclean, unclean. So this man had not only a physical problem, he had a spiritual problem because he was considered ritually or spiritually unclean. And he had a relational problem. He was disconnected from the rest of humanity. 
And here, he, he breaks the law. We, we find this guy is a lawbreaker. Why? Because instead of distancing himself from the crowd and from Jesus, he comes to Jesus and kneels before him. He comes boldly to Jesus. Now, of course, he had the if concern. If you are willing, you can heal, heal me. Jesus had already done enough healings throughout the land before the Sermon on the Mount that this man knew that Jesus could, but he had the if statement. He had bold faith, really. Don't let the if fool you. If you're willing, you can. He had bold faith. He had faith so bold that he would break the law and kneel before Jesus and declare, Jesus, you are able. And notice this, that his, his statement or question, if you want to call it that way, if you are willing, are you willing, didn't stop Jesus from healing him. In fact, it, it didn't, didn't stop Jesus from touching the man. Think about it. This man was ritually unclean. He could not be touched. Anything or anybody who touched him would himself or herself become unclean. That is not even acceptable in the presence of God. And yet Jesus touches this man. Think about it. Jesus was probably the first touch that this man had received from anyone since he contracted leprosy. And the Bible doesn't tell us very much about the man. We don't know how long he was in this condition, but it could have been months, it could have been years. And Jesus was his first touch. At least, even if he had any doubt about whether Jesus was willing, he came to Jesus and let Jesus touch him. Hmm, a lot of law breaking here. Think about this, though. Could anything really make Jesus unclean? Absolutely not. And I, I think that's wonderful because sometimes we feel so unworthy about going before Jesus with our needs, and yet our unworthiness does not make Jesus unworthy. And he's still willing to touch us, to touch us. Let Jesus touch you. I want to encourage you in this, whatever your need is right now. You might be looking to a lot of different resources for that need being met. But would you let Jesus touch you? Would you let him be the first one to touch you in this time of need? Let Jesus come and do what only Jesus can do. I love the fact that even though there was the if, Jesus still healed. It reminds me of another story when uh, Jesus told a man, if you believe... Nothing is impossible. And the man said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I know we're not supposed to have doubt when it comes to faith in God for anything that we're asking for. James is pretty clear on that. But I think sometimes our definition of doubt might be a little bit skewed when we approach it biblically. Because this man, even though he knew it was up to Jesus to heal him, uh, might have just been recognizing that, God, I'm submitted to your will. Jesus, I'm submitted to your will. You can give it or you can withhold it. That's up to you. And maybe his if question was just an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of Jesus, of the sovereignty of God, and not so much an expression of doubt. God wants you to come to him. And I believe that your ifs whatever the ifs might be accompanying your declaration that, God, you're able, Jesus is able to handle. 
He's able to handle your ifs. He's able to help your unbelief and bring healing. Jesus was willing. We just have to come to Jesus. Is he willing? I am willing. I believe that. I believe that Jesus is still willing. Now, we do have a lot of doubts, so I'm going to ask you this. What are you going to let shape your prayers? The leper's questions, the leper's doubts, if he had any, or Jesus' declaration. If you're to look at this passage and to allow this passage to shape your prayers, what is going to have more influence on your prayer? The leper's if or Jesus' declaration. I think the clear intention of Matthew here is that your prayer, that my prayer be shaped by who Jesus is. That our prayer be shaped by what Jesus does, how Jesus responds, how Jesus touches, how he heals, how Jesus declares, I am willing. I think that ought to have a whole lot more influence on the shape of our prayers, the expectation behind our prayers than any doubt or question that the leper presents to Jesus. And I believe that you'll hear Jesus say even today, I am willing. I am willing. Jesus affirms his willingness, not just by stating it, but by touching and by healing. And I believe that Jesus will touch and heal you too. That he's not looking to find fault or to find some crack in your faith level. He is looking to display his goodness, his compassion, his love. God wants to heal. I think part of the reason we doubt, though, is that we don't understand the role of miracles in Jesus' ministry. We, we don't understand their connection to the authority of Jesus. Because what is at play here in this passage is not just the compassion of Jesus willing to touch this leper who was a worthy object of compassion. But we have here a strong, powerful demonstration of the authority of Jesus. See, here's what I believe about miracles and the authority of Jesus. Christianity without the supernatural, without miracles, whether big or small, is not biblical Christianity. That's because Christ without authority is not the biblical Christ. He is the God of authority. And how does Jesus demonstrate his authority? How does he do it through his earthly ministry? How does he continue to do it through his church? Jesus demonstrates his authority by two things, by his teaching and by his miracles, by his teaching and by his miracles. The healing of the leper here in this passage is the first miracle after the Sermon on the Mount. What follows the Sermon on the Mount are three sets of miracles, three sets of Three miracle stories, ten miracles in all, but three miracle stories in each of the three sets. Each set of three followed by a teaching on discipleship that is a part of our responding to the authority of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29, wraps up like this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. 
Jesus taught as one who had authority. His teaching is authoritative. And Jesus is not authoritative just because of what he says, but because of what he does. That's why Matthew goes from this long passage of teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, immediately to multiple stories of miracles. Jesus demonstrates his authority through his teaching and through his miracles. See, we should believe what Jesus teaches because what he teaches is authoritative. The Sermon on the Mount should have authority in our lives. But we also believe because Jesus exercises authority. He doesn't just talk authoritatively. He exercises authority. And he shows his authority over the power of the enemy, over the power of sickness and disease, over the power of nature, of creation, through his miracles. Now think about it. When we have something to say, how do we, how, how do we get people to believe or listen to what we're saying? Usually if we don't feel like we're being listened to, what do we do? We get louder, we get louder uh, on social media, we get more abrasive, we get harsher with each other, we become more strident. You know, it works for sermons, right? If I want you to believe what I'm saying, I want to put a little more em- emphasis on it, right? That's, that's kind of normal. But Jesus is not just speaking more loudly here in order for us to believe what he said, what he's just taught. He is showing power through his miracles. Jesus displays his authority, his power. Jesus affirms his word, his teaching through his miracles. The Bible teaches us to expect miracles. It's all through there. There's nothing in the Bible to cause us to think that miracles have ever ceased. No, the Bible teaches us to expect miracles. You know what teaches you not to expect miracles? Life, just the circumstances of life. I mean, a miracle by definition, by its nature, is somewhat rare. And, you know, there are a lot of troubles in this life and a lot of things that don't get fixed by a miracle. And so life teaches us not to expect miracles. But that's where the Bible comes in as well. The Bible not only teaches you to expect a miracle, the Bible teaches you how to live in the absence of a miracle. It really does. It teaches you how to live if the miracle is delayed. It teaches you how to wait until the miracle comes. It teaches you how to live out life even if the miracle never comes in this lifetime. The Bible tells us about people who had faith in God even to the point that they died still believing. The Bible teaches that. But I believe that the Bible teaches us that we can expect miracles in this lifetime as well. We should believe in it. And, you know, the ifs, the if question, if you're willing, if it's your timing, if it's the right thing for me, my life right now, those questions do come into play, but they shouldn't lower our expectation. I love the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back in the book of Daniel are threatened by Nebuchadnezzar. They're going to be thrown into a blazing furnace because they won't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idols. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar gives them another chance, and they say, well, we're not going to do it. Our God, they, they declare this, our God will save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your idols. Our God will save us, but even if he doesn't, I love the expectation, the confidence there, but also there's a commitment. 
There's a submission to the authority of God that we hear in their response and that they're not going to submit to an idol. And I believe that's a good lesson for us as we are grappling sometimes with waiting longer than we would expect for a miracle or maybe even not even receiving it in this lifetime. We are submitted to God. So through this miracle story of Jesus healing the leper, we see the compassion of Jesus. I'm willing the compassion of Jesus, we see of the authority of Jesus. And another thing that we need to recognize here is that miracles point ultimately to God. That's why Jesus healed a man and then told him to go to the priest and show himself, offer the gift that the law of Moses required. One thing that says is that Jesus didn't come to uh, break the law. He came to fulfill the law. But it also shows that there is a higher purpose in Jesus' healing and that this is a testimony to the priest. In other words, Jesus wants this miracle not to be something that the man talked about to the whole universe. He tells him to be quiet about it because Jesus is not yet ready to reveal himself as Messiah. Not yet. But he does want a testimony for the priest. This is a testimony for the priest who would pronounce the man clean and who would recognize only God could have done this kind of miracle. And we, we see miracles when we, we hear stories of missionaries going around the world and mighty miracles being performed. And we think, oh, if only we could do that because God confirms his word. He gives himself a testimony through the miracles that he does. But God wants to do some miracles right here at home as a testimony to who he is, as a testimony to his compassion as a testimony to his authority, as a testimony to the gospel. And I want to encourage you to open your eyes to the possibility of miracles. We're going to be talking about miracles for the next few weeks. We're going to have Robbie Dawkins with us starting on January 29, 29 and 30, and then the Sunday of the 31st. And that's going to be a time of miracles. And you'll be able to get more information as to how to participate with that, both in person and online. Open your eyes to miracles. And don't think that it has to be something spectacular for it to count. Just this past week on the way home from visiting my parents, my wife and I stopped at a gas station to fill up. And there was a young man there who walked up with his hoodie on and his mask on. It was really kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, uncomfortable situation. But he said, sir, sir, sir. Could you give me $5 to buy a pack of cigarettes? Well, I didn't have a $5 bill. I only had a 1 or a 20, and I told him that. So all I have was a 1 or 20, and he was wanting me to buy him a pack of cigarettes. And he explained that he had just gotten out of rehab, and uh, you know that he was trying to get his life turned around. And, of course, that was a good opening for me. And I gave him a $20 bill. I didn't go in and buy him cigarettes. Don't judge me based on what he might have done with that $20. But I, I asked him, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah, you can pray. And when I began praying for God to really set him free, for God to reveal himself as his higher power that he had learned in that 12-step program that he had been in, when, when I prayed for God to help him to become the man that God wanted him to be, he just began sobbing, just crying right there. You know I might never know the miracle that God did in his life until I get to heaven, but 
but I believe God touched him. And we need to believe that, that God's spirit touching somebody's life like that is maybe not a mighty miracle that's going to change the nation, but it's a miracle that points to God, that points that person to God. And I, I'm believing God during this season for individual miracles of souls touched, lives changed, marriages healed, children being restored to God, children being restored to relationship with their parents, individuals healed of sickness and disease, maybe miracles of a phone call or a text message at just the right time. How about more of the gifts of the Spirit? Even little things, the, the, the minor gifts, more of that. See, I, I believe this, and this is very important because, you know, I, I can easily dismiss this whole topic by saying something like, well, you know, I haven't seen any big mighty miracles lately. If we can't appreciate the little miracles, we'll never appreciate the great miracles. We really won't. You can't fully appreciate a great miracle if you don't appreciate the little miracles. The reason I know that is from Scripture. Think about it. In the Bible, people saw amazing miracles. The people of Israel saw God perform miracles that caused Pharaoh to let them go. Then they saw the Red Sea parted. They walked across on dry ground. They saw Moses strike a rock and water gush forth to, to quench the thirst of hundreds of thousands of people. They saw amazing miracles. They saw Jesus miracles in the little villages that he went through throughout Galilee. And yet Jesus says, woe to you, Chorazin, Bethsaida, woe to you, because you didn't respond to the miracles. So just because they saw miracles doesn't, doesn't mean that they honored God the way God should be honored. It doesn't mean they recognized the authority of God or submitted their lives to God the way that they should have. So a big miracle doesn't guarantee that Great things are going to happen in terms of our nation or revival or anything of that nature. It might be a whole lot of little miracles that bring about the transformation that we're believing for. See, the miracle is great, however small, because it points to the one who is great. It points to God. And if enough of us can point others to God, oh, how much better off will our land be? God wants to do miracles. I do believe it, and I think he wants to do it on a great scale, and I think he wants to do it throughout our land, but it might be a whole lot of little miracles that amount to a great move of God. I, I, I was thinking about John Wimber, thinking about Robbie Dawkins and Vineyard uh, and his coming here, Robbie Dawkins being a Vineyard minister. Uh, Vineyard Movement was founded by John Wimber, and he tells the story of when he was a brand new Christian. He started reading the Bible and is reading the Gospels and reading about all the miracles that Jesus did, the miracles that the uh, disciples, the apostles did, and he was excited about the miracles of God. And he went to a church service, and after the church service, he asked the pastor, so when do we get to do the stuff? The stuff, the pastor said what stuff? You know, John replied, the stuff in the Bible, like healing the sick and casting out demons. Oh, replied the pastor, we don't do the stuff. We believe they did the stuff back in the Bible days, but we don't do the stuff today. John Wimber was confused. He said, and I gave up drugs for this? Hey, let me tell you, the world needs to see the miracles of God, and they're going to see them through you. 
See, if we believe that God does miracles, that, believes, that brings a responsibility upon us to, to believe God. That, that priest to whom the leper showed himself had a responsibility to believe God. And the responsibility that's taught by this passage is this. Submit to the authority of God. The authority of the Sermon on the Mount. I believe if we want to see miracles, we have to get back to a Sermon on the Mount kind of lifestyle as followers of Jesus Christ. We've had enough volatility. We need to enter a time when we're willing to go the second mile to turn the other cheek. We are willing to submit ourselves to God and let God be God through us. And if we'll do that, he'll do the miracles through us. He will do what only he can do. Like I said, following the Sermon on the Mount, there are three sets of miracles, each set followed by a teaching on discipleship, One is the cost of discipleship. This is not going to be easy. It's not going to be just, God, give me what I want. It's going to be costly. We have to lay down our lives for the gospel. There is a call to discipleship on every single one of us, but many are called, few are chosen. Will you follow the call? And then the last lesson and that last set of miracles is this, that we need to pray for laborers for the harvest. The harvest is ready. America is ready. The people around you are ready, and we need to pray for laborers for the harvest. We must live a life of submission to the authority of God as disciples of Jesus Christ if we want to see miracles on the scale that God wants us to see miracles. Right now, though, maybe you need a miracle in your own life. I believe that as you come and kneel before Jesus, as you say, God, you're able. God, you're able. If you will let him touch you, he'll heal you. And I know this sometimes can sound crazy. I have a friend who was watching a televangelist who said, put your hand on the TV and God will heal you right now. And he thought, that's stupid. That's crazy. He put his hand on the TV and the TV blew up and he was healed. True story. I know the guy it happened to Let me tell you, this might sound crazy, but God wants to bring healing to your life. He's not only able, he says, I'm willing. He's the God of all compassion. He's a God of love and mercy and grace, and he wants to demonstrate that to you. But he's also going to demonstrate his authority through you. He wants to use you to bless and touch other people's lives. So as God touches you right now and brings you healing and wholeness, make sure you share the story with somebody else. Make sure you tell everybody. There's no restriction as there was on the leper in this story. Let it be known. This is good news, and it's good news that's meant for sharing. Jesus is a healing God, and he's not only able, he's willing. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your touch upon every single person who is watching or hearing this message. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're revealing yourself to them. And Lord, I pray that you would touch them right now. Touch them with your healing power. Bring wholeness to their spirit, to their mind, to their body, to their relationships. Lord, maybe there's a desperate situation in terms of material well-being. We pray, Lord, that you would meet every single need according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for miracles. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now, to become a follower of Jesus, to become a disciple, to say yes to his authority in your life. And that's a good thing. It's the best thing that you can do. Just pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, 
I thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. I believe Jesus died, he was raised from the dead, and he is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for receiving me as your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the goodness of God. God has great things in store for you. Stay with us. We have some more for you in this ministry today, and I know you're going to be blessed. Thanks for joining us today for Revival Leadership Insights with Ed Crenshaw. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and invite you to subscribe to our podcast and check us out at edcrenshaw.com for free resources.